The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Um, last week we talked about, and, and we're in uh, Acts chapter 4, we'll start in verse 32, and we'll go into chapter 5 through the first 11 verses. We talked last week about um, uh, one of the things that was really a, kind of a focal point of, of the message, and really is the book of Acts, is these people were full of the Holy Spirit. And Holy, some have said, you know, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. And it's been said that it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it was the Holy Spirit that was doing all the work in the midst of the, the apostles. And they were filled with the Spirit um, and walking in that fullness, and the Lord was using them mightily. And so we talked about how, um, how a person comes into the kingdom. They're born again. They receive Christ. And once they come to know the Lord, then they uh, receive the Spirit of the Lord, and uh, they're they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're part of the, the family of God. And I hear, Rachel, that happened for you this week. That's awesome. Amen? Like a new, new person come into the kingdom. And so what happened is Rachel decided to give her life uh, to Jesus. And, and that's really what it's all about. And when we do that, we are filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And he enables us um, to walk in power and authority on this planet to accomplish the advancement of the kingdom. And so it's all about the kingdom moving forward and us doing our parts as citizens of the kingdom. And so the Bible, what is cool about the Bible is that um, one of the ways we know we can trust it is that it is brutally honest as it records history. Um, the stuff of le- that legends are made of, because sometimes people say, man, the, that stuff is sort of made up. Uh, the, the thing about that is when legends and, and, and myths are made up, we, we tend to sensationalize them and the people become, you know, bigger and better. And we tell all the good parts, we don't tell the bad parts. Well, the Bible doesn't do that. We have Moses who is used incredibly um, and he righteously defies Pharaoh. But then we see also that he defies God and there is pronouncement on his life that he doesn't get to enter the promised land. Everything that he he did up to that point in leading the children of Israel to the promised land. He doesn't get to actual, actually take them uh, over uh, to the other side. And there's, uh, you, we see that he's guilty. We see when we look at David. Man, David in the Old Testament, incredible guy. And um, he, you, you know the story. He slays Goliath. Um, he's used to uh, be a, an incredible king that leads uh, Israel forward in battle, but we also see that he committed adultery. Um, There was some serious guilt in his life over uh, even making decisions to see that the person um, he committed adultery with, his husband, was killed in battle, putting him at the front lines, trying to get away with the problem. So we see the good stuff, we see the bad stuff. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't hide the, the, the blemishes of people. And so today, I mean, we've been looking at up to this point, man, look at the church. It is rolling. Like things are happening within the kingdom of Christ. But when we get um, to this particular place, we see the first sin in the church. And so we see sin creep in and how it's dealt with. And, and what we have to learn from that is that um, Satan's purpose to, is to oppose the work of God. That's his whole purpose. And so what he's been doing is um, he's been opposing it from the outside through persecution. Um, the leaders in, uh, that, that were leading the nation, the religious leaders, those in power, 
were persecuting, even during the time Christ was living, before he was crucified, before he was resurrected, there was persecution and that they were persecuting Jesus. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he told them, he said, they will persecute you. And so they start doing that. And there's these trials. We just looked at one last week. They had this trial and they're telling them to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And, and the more Satan opposed the work of God from the outside, the more that it spread. And I, 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 I share with you how I see in the scripture that when we face opposition, the kingdom moves faster. And so it breaks out in our lives and in other people's lives. And so we shouldn't be discouraged when we're facing opposition of different kinds. We should look and go, man, this is a moment for the Lord to be working. He's at work in this. It's not all perfect when we're, we're serving the Lord and things aren't all, always rosy. And so what the enemy does at this point is he shifts his tactics and he begins to attack from within. And so he attacks very members of the community of faith. And he's trying to disrupt the unity of the faith. And so we have the Holy Spirit of God moving for the first time in the history of, uh, uh, of, of the world. The Holy Spirit is moving in very powerful ways. Men and women are able to do things that normal, they've, they've never been able to do. Um, and we still see the Spirit moving that, that way today, but not the same. Um, we're not healing people and bringing them back from the dead like the apostles were, but we certainly are living in power. Um, we're living in authority. We're living in a place where we can see the Lord at work in our lives. And so what we have to understand is that the enemy will go to work within the body. And he will try to disrupt things. He will try to cause disunity within the body. And so where God is at work, the enemy will be active. And that's what he's doing as he inwardly attacks the members of this early church. And so as we begin in verse 32, we're going to look at a story, man, that is like, whoa, like, like, man, like, what is going on here? Like, I don't know if I like this story. Um, it's one that you're like, this is not the one you go, man, this is my life passage. Okay. When we get to chapter five, you don't see anybody saying, I want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. That's not going to happen. This is one of the dark places in the word. And as we look at it, we go, why is God so harsh in his judgment? And I'll sort of preface as we get in the story. It's, it's, it's because it is a move of the Lord, the same way the spirit was breaking out in a very powerful way. There had to be um, a purity that was kept in the church. There had to be this idea that God would be respected. He would be treated as holy. He was not only to be loved, but he was to be feared as well. And so when we look, we, we find this incredible story um, about generosity and deceit. And so what we see, and again, just to kind of set it up, is why, why were they doing these things? Well, there were a lot of people who decided to stay in Jerusalem who had made a pilgrimage there, and, and they had... Uh, come for Pentecost, and then the Spirit broke out, and they decided to stay. They didn't go back home. So they were displaced from their homes, and they believed that there was a move of God, and many of them got saved. We saw that um, the first sermon Peter preached, there were 3,000 people, um, and I think this is just mentioning the men. The second sermon, there were 2,000 people. So over 5,000 people, many of them who were there that didn't live there, but decided to stay. And so they were displaced. They had to find work, and, and they couldn't find work because a lot of the people who were opposing them, the religious leaders said, don't have anything to do with those, those Christians, if you will, those people that follow Jesus. 
And so they couldn't find work. They couldn't get jobs. And so they, it created this financial need for these people that were in this community, in this body together, um, that they couldn't take care of themselves because they couldn't take care of themselves, all right? Not because they wouldn't work, but because they couldn't find work. And so, it, so, so what they would do is they started to take care of each other. And so when we read this, sometimes people will say, man, this is, this is a passage of Scripture that supports socialism. It does not. Um, or communism. It does not, because what is happening here in these passages is all voluntary. Nobody was commanded to do this stuff. They were doing it as they decided in their own hearts to do, and you'll see that. But it says, all the believers, in verse um, 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. And that's a good way to live. But they shared everything they, uh, they had, and with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money from the, or brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, um, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is pretty cool. Barnabas is a character that we see get developed. It's the first time I believe he's mentioned in the book of Acts, and he gets developed over time. He, he goes on a missionary journey with Paul. He's used significantly in Paul's life and in the church. And so he's not an apostle. Um, he is a follower of Jesus, and his, his name was Joseph. Okay, very common name. A lot of people in that day and age had the name Joseph. And the, the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas because he was so encouraging. And so um, this is a guy that had an incredible nickname. And so he's a very encouraging guy. And it's really cool to look at, hey, these people around him um, nicknamed him Barnabas. And, and I'm encouraged by that uh, fact that sometimes people just have that gift. Some people just are incredibly encouraging. And it's a spiritual gift that I think that we can possess, and this guy certainly had it. And so he saw the need, and he was a wealthy guy. Um, he, had, he had the means. He owned some land. And so he decided, as he saw that there were people that couldn't take care of themselves in this tremendous need, he was like, man, I got this land. I, I'm going to sell it. I don't really need it. I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to take care of me. He sold the piece of land. He brought all of the, the money from the sale, and it says that he placed it at the apostles' feet. So he gave it to the leadership of the church, and he said, look, I want this to go into the kingdom resources. Use it as you see fit. And so he brought that offering to the Lord. And man, people were blown away by it. And, and several people were doing that. A lot of people were moved of the Holy Spirit, and they saw the need, and they sacrificed beyond what was expected just to meet the needs that were created within the kingdom and to see the advancement of it going forward. And certainly this allowed people like um, Peter and, and, and James and John and, and many of them that were fishermen by trade, this allowed them to be full-time in the service of the kingdom, much like as you bring an offering to the Lord, that's how I get paid, is that your faithfulness to the kingdom of Christ allows us to have a, 
a full-time pastor, and we have some part-time staff as well, and your investment in that, like you, you should be encouraged. You're being like Barnabas. Even more importantly, you're being like Jesus. We know that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so the, the church, man, and they're blown away by this, and so people start doing it. And, and, and they, they do it as they're led of the Lord. And so there's a couple in the church, and they, they recognize how people are really blown away when somebody makes a sacrifice like that beyond what is uh, a normal. And so it says that now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So they had some ca uh, cash as well. And it says, with his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it at the apostle, uh, brought the rest of it and put it at the apostle's feet. And so he sold it and he, he brings it in. And it says, Then Peter said to him, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And so we see another filling taking place, and it's taking place within the body of believers. We see that, that, that these two people who are part of the community are being filled by something other than the Holy Spirit. They're not walking in obedience. They're not walking in surrender to the Lord. And immediately, the Lord gives Peter discernment, and we don't know exactly how, but somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, he knew what Ananias was trying to do, and he called him on it. And so what was Ananias doing? He, he had sold the piece of land. It was his to sell. He brought the money, and instead of bringing all of it, which he didn't have to bring any of it, but he made it look like he brought all of it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet, and Peter calls him on it. And he says, um, then Peter said, Ananias, again, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the, for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they, are, uh, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church in all who heard about these events. Wow. <laughs> Man, uh, like that's pretty strong. But we look at it and, and this is not uncommon. We look at when the nation of Israel was about to go into the promised land and they were going into battle and they were told as they went into battle, I believe it was against AI, that they were not to keep any of the spoils for themselves. And there's a guy um, during that time, his name was Achan, and he saw the silver and gold and he saw some idols that those people had and he 
collected it and he took it to his tent and he dug a hole and he buried it there. And nobody knew about it but him. And so they went into battle again. And when they went into battle, they were severely defeated. It was the first time that they had been defeated and God had promised. And so they're, they're trying to figure out what is going on. And what had happened is God revealed to Joshua that sin was in the camp. And they started confronting them by lot. And Achan was found out and he was guilty. And he and his family all perished because of sin and lying before God as they were entering into the promised land. Well, these people are entering into the promised life. It is very similar. And as they go, what the Lord is trying to show the church is that he is a holy God and he will, like, we, we should not be playing games with him. And we should be true to who he is and we should not, um, like, live deceptive lives. And so as we look at this, we, we go, man, what are the takeaways? Well, one, again, before I get into the, the, the three that I have for you today, I, I think that we have to understand that, that as the people had this great fear seized them, what did this cause them to do? It caused them all to do, take some self-inventory. Let's take a look at ourselves. Let's look at our lives individually because this came down to this individual who was held responsible for his own decision-making process. And so all of the people in the church, they, they weren't like, woohoo, Ananias and Sapphira are gone. Like, that's not what happened. Like, they were blown away by this. I'm sure it made them a little nervous. I'm sure it's making you a little uncomfortable even as I talk about it. Guess what? That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to get our attention to go, hey, man, it doesn't matter if everybody else is doing their own thing and how they're deciding about how to live. The truth of the matter is the Lord is judge of all, and he is looking at all of us, and he is looking upon our hearts, and it's important for us to be reminded of that. And so what, what are the takeaways or the observations that I make from this text that, that I think that we, we need to be reminded by? Um, here's the first one. Deceit is disastrous. Like, deceit is disastrous. God does not mess around with sin in the church. And, and let, let, me, let me just be more specific with that. When we say sin in the church, this word church is the, the word ecclesia, the called out ones. Paul refers to it as the body of Christ. I, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord does not mess around with sin in your life. And when deceit comes into your life and, and you allow it to creep in, it is disastrous. And we see here that the Lord surgically removed the spiritual cancer to protect the church. Okay, He not only did that, um, will, will do that to protect the church, sometimes he will surgically remove things in your life to protect you. As you sin and you get involved in sin and you're captivated by it and you are led into it, sometimes God will surgically remove things in your life to get your attention to keep you from destroying your life. It could be consequences in your finances and relationships or whatever, but it's called discipline. And the Lord says that he disciplines us like he disciplines a, a father, disciplines his children. And it shows that he loves us. And so we need to be reminded of that. And, and here's, here's something that I think is very, very important. It can easily feel like we are getting away with things. It just feels like we are when we're walking in sin. We never are. You are never getting away with sin. 
Be not deceived, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever you put in the ground is what you're going to take out of the ground. Whatever you put into your life, there is a reaping to come from that, that sowing that you're doing. And so this is, this is for us as believers to be aware of. That's why the story is recorded. And so we have to ask ourselves, <clears throat> and, and, and it's, it's a good question to ask, where is deceit creeping into my life? I'm reminded of the story of Cain and Abel. <clears throat> you remember what the Lord said to Cain whenever he saw that Abel brought a sacrifice and the Lord was pleased with it, and Cain brought a sacrifice and the Lord wasn't pleased with it? And the reason he wasn't pleased with it was because of the condition of his heart. It wasn't the content of the offering. It was the condition of the heart and the content of the heart of the one making the offering. And the Lord said to Cain, Behold, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. And that's the way sin is. It crouches there at the door waiting for us to walk through a particular passageway and then it will leap on us and it is disastrous when that takes place. <clears throat> and so it is, it's, it's disastrous, but it never feels like it. And here's why it doesn't feel disastrous. Because it's fun to sow sin. If it wasn't, nobody would do it. Okay? One of the great mistakes that we've made in, in, in our children, in, in raising children in the church, I think, is to tell them, oh, um, if you do those things, I mean, don't do those things. That's not really fun. <laughs> what? Yes, it is. If it were not fun, it would not be easy to sell. It is fun. It is fun to go get wasted. That's why it is a billion-dollar industry in alcohol. Like, it's fun to do that. It is fun to sow into that. It's fun to, to, to go and be very promiscuous in your relationships. There is reward in that. Be not deceived about that either. It's like there, there is fun in that. And so we have to be reminded the problem is the reaping is not so much fun. And it will come. And you will reap whatever you sow into. And so one of the things we have to realize is that deceit is disastrous, and so sin is always crouching at the door, and we have to master it, and we have to realize, yeah, for a season I might be able to sow into that and enjoy myself and find some pleasure, but the truth is I will reap what I sow into my life in this particular sinful behavior. Here's the second uh, observation. Pretenders only fool themselves, Okay. Pretenders only fool themselves. All deceit is bad, but lying about a divine relationship destroys the church. It destroys the individual. And so the problem wasn't these people's giving. The problem was their living. It was how they were living. And, and, and they tried to appear more generous than they were. And so as they engaged in this behavior, um, this act we see originated from a lie they chose to believe, which we know that Jesus, when he was talking in the Gospel of John to the Pharisees, he says, you are of your um, uh, father, uh, the devil. And he speaks, uh, his language is lies, and, and, and it's his native language. So he's always speaking lies. And so he, sp he spoke a lie into Ananias and Sapphira's life. And as he spoke that lie into their lives... They chose to believe it. Now, what we like to do in um, our day and age is we like to, and probably even in their day and age, we like to blame the devil for everything, 
Ah, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. The devil tempted you. You made you do it. We are all culpable for our sin. The devil cannot make us do anything. A satanic force, a demonic power cannot make us do anything. All it can do is tempt us. It can crouch at the door. And the more we allow deceit to come into our lives, the more of a hold he gets on our minds. And the more that we start to thinking, uh, th- start thinking in deceitful ways, the easier for it is for him to get a foothold into our lives. And we succumb to the temptation that he presents to us. And therefore, we enter into a deceitful lifestyle because we volitionally, uh, out of our own free will, chose to do it. So when you sin, you make a conscientious choice about stepping into that sin. And and sometimes you can get caught up in a lifestyle like that. You can get up in, in, in a cycle where you're just walking in sin and you don't even realize it because your conscience has been seared because you're listening to the native language of the enemy and you're not being filled with the spirit. You're being filled with with a lie. That's what happened to these people. That's what we see clearly happen to them. And so um, he, they were responsible for the decision they made. And it was their possession. Like they weren't required to give it. There's nothing in the church that says, man, you guys, like it would be a lot easier in my job if there was something in the church that said, you guys that own land, I need you to sell off a chunk of it and bring that to, to the church Sunday. That certainly would make things easier. They weren't required to do that. It was totally voluntary. Like they had the land and there was nothing from the Lord that said, man, if you have land, go sell that land and and bring it. Now, certainly there's an expectation that the first fruits of our income we present to the Lord as an offering, but but there's no expectation that we can't have our own possessions. And so they they had a possession. They were not required to give it. They saw the accolades that were given to others. They saw the prestige that came with it and they wanted some of that. And so their ambitiousness came from a place of pride in their lives where they wanted the recognition of men as opposed to living a pure life before God. And so they probably, and here's what I think happened. They probably felt like they should do it, but didn't want to. (laughs) And so, so like, here's how things work is that that, that, that sometimes we, we can enter into, I, I've been a part of um, things where you, you do a capital campaign. Um, and certainly we're still like working, I'm still working with the architect and trying to whittle this thing down. I got a meeting with him um, when, here in about two weeks that I think we're going to kind of hammer down some numbers uh, and, and, and they're going to be big. <laughs> so I don't know what we do with them and that's not what this sermon is about. But, but when you decide, and we'll look at it, and we'll present it to the church, and we'll go from there. But, but when you decide to do something, then you have to raise some extra money. And so what we would do is, is there's no way that from the, the, the budget that we have right now it takes to operate the church, we would have to go beyond in order to do something special uh, to, to make a shift in the community about who we are. Uh, and so we would, we would have to sacrifice. And I've been a part of that before. Uh, at my last church, we, we, we raised a lot of money and we were able to build a new sanctuary. And so you, you, you go through this process where you ask people to, to take it to the Lord and see what um, he might be saying to them about giving beyond what, what they already give. And, and so I think that that's kind of what is happening here in the sense that People are deciding that. They're, they're, they're talking to the Lord and, and, and they're feeling led of the Holy Spirit 
to sell something in order to give to the kingdom. And so Ananias and Sapphira are a part uh, of this community of believers, and they see other people doing that, and they feel shamed by it. Let me tell you something. If you're walking in freedom, somebody else's obedience will never shame you. Okay? Now, it might challenge you, but it won't shame you. There's no reason. There is, the Scripture teaches us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when it comes to even your weekly giving and, and supporting of the kingdom work, like it's not something that should, you should do out of condemnation or shame. That's not the way it's supposed to work. That would be what is happening in Ananias and Sapphira's life. And so they, they probably felt like they should do it but didn't want to, and so they, they came up with a plan. And they said, Look, we'll, we'll, we'll sell it. And everybody, like, we'll tell everybody we got this much for it. We'll keep back this amount because you know we want to use it for this to make some upgrades on the house. And then we'll give it over here and everybody will think we're awesome. And so they, they were so mixed up in their thinking because they were being deceived in their minds. And so here was the problem with, with Ananias and Sapphira. Because it's something we want to avoid. Um, is that they clung to their possessions, Okay, They held on to them. Um, it, it was really important to them. They agreed to lie. They conspired with one another and agreed to walk in deceit together and present this to the church. They pretended to be something they weren't. And I think that's a lie that a lot of people live. It's pretending to be something that you really aren't and you let other people think that you are. They thought they could get by with it. <laughs> that's so dangerous. And man, when you get caught up in sin, you will think that you can get by with it. You will think that you can get out of it. And sometimes sin can get such a hold of your life that the only way to get out of it is to confide in a brother or sister in Christ and say, I'm in sin. Like if, if you find yourself walking in sin and, and the enemy has gotten so a hold of you and it happens, like don't think it doesn't happen to Christian people. He's gotten so a hold of you that you have been unfaithful to your spouse and you keep telling yourself, I'm going to figure out a way out of this, you're not going to figure out a way out of it. If you want out of it, you better find a brother or sister in Christ and say, I need help. I can't get out. Because the enemy has so got a hold of you that you, you can't even think straight. And so you will continue to deceive yourself and somebody else has to come alongside of you and embrace you and, and help you walk out of that. And the beauty of the church is that that's what the Lord has given us each other for. And so here's, here's where these people were at, man, is, is they, they were walking in this place of, of deception and they thought they could get by with it. And, and, and the worst thing about it is they were more concerned about their image than their relationship with Jesus. And that's what gets us, man, as we start to thinking about, about me and my and all that is going on with me as opposed to being concerned about my relationship with Jesus. And so that, that put them in this place of pretending, and what happened was it blew up in their faces, okay? Like the enemy, is, he's, he is so crafty, and as he's telling his lies, he will make them sound good, and he will present them before you, and he will get you to take a bite out of that thing, whatever it may be. And then he will continue to tell you that it's all right and he will continue to move and, and he will continue to like say things to you and you will continue to walk in this place where your flesh is being rewarded. And when it blows up in your face, he will celebrate because he has just led you away from the kingdom. And that's what happened with these people. Man, it, it blew up in their face and literally it cost them 
their physical existence on the planet. And so my first observation is deceit is disastrous. My second one is that pretenders only fool themselves. And the third one, what do we take away? Hold on loosely. Like for us as believers, this is what we have to learn. We have to live like everything you have is the Lord's because it is. Okay, let's go back and read in our text. It says that all of the believers were one in heart and mind in verse chapter 42 verse or chapter 4 verse 32. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Like nobody claimed that. What does that tell us? They all recognized that everything they had belonged to the Lord because the Lord had gotten their lives. And that's what the Lord is after is our lives. And so they held on loosely. If they had land, it didn't make make a big a deal to them because it was the Lord's land. If they owned a home, it was the Lord's home. If they had cash, it was the Lord's cash. If they had tools, it was the Lord's tools. I used to tell this. I told the guy when uh, one time he had all kinds of tools. Man, he had a big shop, and and I'd talk about how they shared with one another. And I said, so it is your biblical mandate, brother, to share with me when I need to borrow some of your tools. Amen. <laughs> and so I'm in. Like, let me. Can I be honest? This is something the Lord has had to teach me. I do not have a problem borrowing things because I know that, that if, if, if I borrow something from you and break it, I'm going to replace it. I'm going to fix it or I'm going to replace it. But I really have had a problem with people borrowing things from me. <laughs> and, and I'm not so much anymore, but I used, to be, I used to really be worried about this, even my brothers, man, and maybe it's because I knew that if they broke it, they would not fix it. Uh, but who cares, right? If it is the Lord's and a brother has a need, why should I be so hung up about my possession that if somebody breaks it or doesn't give it back, it's really going to take away from my life? I'm holding on too tightly. And so thankfully, I've been able to overcome that and things don't trip me up uh, like they used to and I'm able to, to share uh, more readily with those around me. And so if you need to borrow something, you all are welcome to, except Preston. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. You can borrow anything I have. Uh, and, and so uh, like that, that's something we got to get good at is like hold on loosely. Stuff is stuff. And it has nothing to do um, with your identity or who you are in Christ. And so Barnabas was held up as a model. And, and one of the reasons he was, and there were several people doing it, but Luke chose to talk, talk about Barnabas, but he's going to teach us about Barnabas as he unfolds the story in the church. And so there were a lot of people in the church doing this, and they had learned to cultivate genuine generosity. So how do we do that? How do we have genuine generosity in our lives? Like I said, um, me even using myself as an example as how I used to get hung up more about people borrowing things, and it does, it's not that big a deal for me anymore. I had to cultivate more of a generous heart in, in, in my life with my possessions. And so how do we do that? Well, first of all, you got to be grateful for what you have. Every time you look at something in your house, I don't care if it's a toaster oven, you should say, the Lord has been good to me and given me that toaster oven. You're making some Pop-Tarts, you need to say, man, the Lord has given me those Pop-Tarts. Like the Lord has given me this refrigerator. The Lord has given me this vehicle. The Lord has given me, you know, whatever it is, this house. This is the Lord's, and I'm grateful for all that he has given me. He has been good to me, and, 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 and really not even he has given to me. It is the Lord's stuff. I'm just living in it. I'm here on borrowed time. And so uh, we, we have to be grateful for what you have. Put people first. 
don't put your possessions first. That's what I was doing like when it came to loaning things and I'd get all uncomfortable about it. I was thinking more about my possession than I was about the person who wanted to borrow it. And I, would, I never told anybody they couldn't borrow anything of mine. I'm just telling you what was going on inside of me. Um, and, and the Lord had to, he like had to cure me of that. And I had to start looking and going, man, I need to put people first in this. And go, no, it's, it's, it's fine. I, I want to do all that I can to love on this person. Don't allow greed to control you. Like, don't let, allow it to control you. Re, regard money, and this is kind of where I was hitting on it a, a minute ago. Regard money and possessions as a resource you manage, not something that is yours. Like you have to see yourself as a steward of the Lord. I'm reminded of the parable of the talents when Jesus was teaching, and he said, Ben, there was a, a certain rich man. He gave one guy ten um, talents. He gave another guy five talents. He gave one guy one guy the talent. The ten uh, doubled his. The five doubled his, and the one guy took the one that he got and ran away in a field and hid it. And so when the shrewd master came back and he asked him, tell me how you've done with the talents that I gave you. And he's, the first guy said, man, I doubled it. The second guy said, man, I, I did the same. The third guy said, man, I knew you, you were a hard master. And so I took the one that you gave me and hid it in the field. And he said, what is wrong with you? And he took that one and gave it to the guy that had the most. And he told this one, just like, get out of my sight. Why? Because this one was just possessing. He was hoarding. He was holding on to something. He didn't see that all that he had been given was for him to manage as a resource to accomplish the work of that steward's business. What's Jesus trying to say to us? He's saying, man, all of the skills I've put into you, all of the, 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 the money that I've blessed you with, all of the stuff that you've had, you have, I'm giving you that as a resource to manage for the kingdom. Now, this will be challenging for us to think about how well we manage our resources. If you think about in the last year, how many parties have you had at your house that the Lord has given to you that you've used at your home as a resource to advance the kingdom? Has it been more about who you wanted to invite over and you wanted to enjoy and these are the people that I like as opposed to, I wonder what would happen if I invited some people over from um, the church and some other people that I think the Lord may be laying on my heart or I, some people at the church that I don't even know and I just hung out with them and I said, I want to get to know you better. See, that's challenging for us because what we do is we get caught up in, even though we're in the kingdom, sometimes we live just like everybody else and we never do realize that, hey man, these are resources that I'm supposed to be using to advance the kingdom and I need to manage it. I'm a steward of all that the Lord has given me. And so we want to see things as, as resources to manage and then um, to finally to cultivate that habit is to develop the habit of giving. Just Just give. Start giving and give with a cheerful heart. And, and here's what I'm trying to, to get us to see. What we possess is more the Lord's than ours. If, he is, if Jesus is God, then everything we possess is his. It is not ours. We receive it from him, must use it for him, and give an account to him with what we did with it. And so here's the big idea. God gives himself, and he expects the same from us. Jesus is not interested in your stuff. He's interested in you, okay? 
And, and, and so we have to be people who realize, that's the big problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They thought it was all about giving their stuff, and so they wanted to hold on to some of it. And the Lord is trying to show the church, no, it's about giving yourself. And so I'm going to close um, with a story that happened to me this week uh, that I think illustrates what the Lord is asking for. There's a guy who came by my house, a salesman, and he was selling stuff for smart homes. It was Thursday. I just finished uh, my sermon a couple hours early, uh, earlier. I think it was about 7 o'clock. Um, and I had finished at about 5. And I'm always kind of fired up anyway after I finish a sermon. I was sitting in the recliner um, watching the NBA draft. That's what I was watching. And uh, just kind of just having a little chill time. And uh, I didn't have a hat on. Um, I didn't have my hat on because I'd gotten a little warm upstairs or something. I don't know. My hair was all messed up and I didn't realize it because I'd been wearing a hat. So the doorbell rings. I go to the doorbell and I'm like, ah, it's a salesman. And I'm like, I'm thinking as I go to the doorbell before I go, oh, it's just going to be one of the kid's friends. And so it doesn't matter if my hair is messed up. <laughs> so I open the door and lo and behold, it's not. It's a salesman. And he proceeds to talk to me. He's got this smart home uh, hat on and He's pretty good, man. He starts talking to me, and he gets my attention. He starts talking to me about how they're looking for some model homes, and, and uh, they're, they're looking for them in my neighborhood, and he would be able to uh, you know, make a, an incredible deal for me. He set the hook, and so I started to listen to him. And in all my years of living in Overland Park, I've never listened to a salesman, okay? <laughs> but for some reason, I did this one. And so he starts to proceed to tell me all of this stuff, and the conversation lasts for about 15 minutes there on the porch. It is hot. I've closed the door now and standing on the porch with him. And he asked me, can he show me the presentation on his iPad? And I said, sure. And he says, can we go to the dining room table? I said, sure, why not? It's hot out here anyway. So we go to the dining room table. And so he proceeds to make this incredible pitch about how great this was. And if I will allow him to put a sign in the yard, then he will take off um, this amount for the equipment. And if I will uh, make a, referen uh, a reference on social media, he will take off this amount. And he gets it all the way down to zero. And then he proceeds to tell me that it's 0% APR for five years. He'll add this onto the um, cellular data package. And it will only cost me $64 a month for the next five years. And so... I I said to him, I said, hey, I, I want to say something to you. I said, uh, I, you're really good at what you do, and I want to encourage you in the Lord. Like, you're a good salesman. And I said, in eight years that I've lived here in Overland Park, n there's never been a salesman made it to my dining room table, but you did. And I said, I've really enjoyed listening to you. I said, but I am not going to buy this. And he said, why not? I said, because the Lord has told me not to. And he says, well, if I gave you $200, would you buy it? I said, man, you could get up on my dining room table, dance around naked and throw $100 bills at me, and I'm not buying it. <laughs> and he like, was like, what? And I said, I'm not. And he said, why? I said, because the Lord has told me that I don't have the disposable income for this, and for me to have a smart home would make me a dumb homeowner. <laughs> and so he said, he said, what do you mean the Lord told you? And so I began to tell him about how the Lord talks to me. I said, I didn't hear a voice. I could just tell, man, like 
the Lord is impressing upon my heart. This is not a good decision for me. And, and I started talking to him about John chapter 10. My sheep will hear my voice and I will follow him. And the next thing you know, he says, it's kind of weird, man. The guy up the street was a Baptist guy and he was telling me all about his faith and stuff. I said, man, the Lord is after you, bro. And for the next hour and a half, I shared the gospel with him. Like, yeah, it's a, I'm not. And so like he's, he's got tears welling up in his eyes and he's, <laughs> he, says, uh, he says, well, man, how do I even know? How do I know? I said, what do you mean, how do you know? He's like, how do I know this is not even a dream? And I said, well, I can reach across the table and slap you in the face and you'll know. This is not a dream. And so he said, man, I, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, and I said, well, you can do it here or you can, you can do it in your car. You can do it when you get home. I said, but, I, said I don't want to talk you into it. Because anything I can talk you into, the, the enemy can talk you out of. I said, I really believe the Lord is he's doing something. Because you're here in my house. And the guy up the street had a, a similar conversation with you. And I said, but here's the deal, Brennan. I said, just like you told me it was going to cost me $65 a month for five years to have a smart home, it's going to cost you your life every day until you die to have Jesus. And he said, whoa. He said, and again, he had tears in his eyes. I prayed over him. He said, I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't want to do it right now. I want to I do it in my car. I want to read this. And so I prayed over him and, and sent him his way. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if he accepted the Lord or not. I do know he made it to one of my neighbor's house because he was dropping my name up there at, uh, at their house. And they asked me about it. They said, did you buy anything? I said, no, but I shared the gospel with him for an hour and a half. And so here, here's, here's why I'll close with this story, is that like, that's what the Lord wants from us is our lives. I, I was thankful that he, he said, man, I really I want to do this, but I really want to think about it. He's counting the cost. And Jesus says to us that we need to count the cost. And we need to understand that when we say, man, I am a Christian, it means that Jesus gets our lives. They're not ours anymore. And so as we talk about the kingdom and being citizens of it, that's the economy of the kingdom. We get the provision of the Lord, but only if he gets all of us. And Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't give all of themselves to Jesus. Barnabas did. And Barnabas, we see him as we watch him through the book of Acts. He ascends in the kingdom and is used mightily of the Lord, so mightily that even today we're talking about him being the son of encouragement in the early church. And look at how sad it is and disastrous about what we're saying about Ananias and Sapphira. It's no different for any of us. Like, we all have to make the decision of how, how we're going to live. And so I want to encourage you to hold on loosely to your stuff. Realize, don't, just hold on loosely to the Lord's stuff. See all that you have as His, and it will change how you live your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.